Welcome to Making It Fair, a podcast brought to you by the Canadian Council of Parliamentary Ombudsmen. I'm Lindsay Hunt, and I'm joining you from the unceded traditional territories of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples in British Columbia, Canada. This podcast is all about fairness and public administration. We'll dive deep into why fairness matters and find out how ombudsmen with special expertise in holding governments and public bodies to account can make things that are wrong right. In this episode, Colette Langlois, Northwest Territories' first ombud, and former MLA Wendy Bassaro reflect on the long journey of establishing an ombuds office in the territory, one of the last jurisdictions in Canada to do so. The Northwest Territories Ombud opened its doors in November 2019. Like other parliamentary ombudsmen, our mandate is to speak up for fair decisions, fair processes, and fair services in government administration. When the NWT office opened, this was decades after most other Canadian provinces and territories had established their ombudsman offices, many in the 1960s and 1970s. Calls to create an ombudsman in the NWT started at least as far back as the early 1990s. The topic of this episode of the Making It Fair podcast is, how did we get here? What took so long? And where are we now? My name is Colette Langlois, and I was appointed as the NWT's first ombud in April of 2019. I am joined today by Wendy Bezero, who served as the MLA for Frame Lake, a Yellowknife constituency, from 2007 to 2015. One of the issues she championed throughout her time in office was the need for the NWT to have an ombudsman. On October 1, 2015, she tabled a draft Ombudsman Act in the Legislative Assembly, which was for the most part the same act the Assembly eventually passed in 2018. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Good to be here. Good. So uh, it's great to see you. Yeah, good uh, to see you too. I've, I've been reflecting a lot on uh, you know, the story, uh, at least the part I know, about how we came to have an, an ombud office in the NWT. And I was thinking the first time I heard the word ombudsman, I can remember, I think it was in grade six, and a teacher mentioned that there was something called an ombudsman, and it was a person who would just sit there and take complaints all day. And I think we all thought that was a big joke and <laughs> laughed. And I was thinking, and I don't think I ever encountered that term again until it started to be something that people were talking about in the legislative uh, in the legislative assembly, which was many many years later. And I'm curious, when did the idea of an ombudsman? When did that first get on your radar? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I, I've been trying to sort of. There was no aha moment for me. Um, I certainly had been aware of. Uh, ombudspersons, you know, across Canada, and um, I felt that it was a worthy office and that it um, performed really good good job and good service to people in general. And I think um, as a member, a member of the Legislative Assembly, I encountered people bringing problems to my office, and um, many of them needed some kind of adjudication of some sort. They had found fault with the way that they were treated um, by the government, by another person, any number of different things. And in many cases, um, there was nothing we could do. Uh, in some cases, there were um, appeal 
systems, appeal boards and so on, and people could appeal to that. But if they didn't agree with the decision of the appeal board, that was final and they had absolutely no recourse and, and nowhere to go. So in, in some cases, um, I or my office would take the issue to a minister um, uh, of whatever department was involved. But, you know, I, I felt that there were a lot of situations where people deserved to be heard, where they weren't being heard, um, or where I, you know, they perceived an injustice, I may have agreed or not, but they still needed an opportunity to be heard and to have somebody hear them out and, and make a decision either in their favor or not. So, you know, it sort of was a gradual thing, I think. And then I did run into a situation. Um, it had to do with insurance, and I don't remember the uh, the actual situation, but I discovered that there was an ombudsperson or ombudsman for insurance. And I don't know if my office went there or if I referred the person there and, and they followed it through and they did get some recourse, I think. So, you know, those sort of those situations led me to believe that this was something that, you know, I, I felt that the territory should have. And I knew well that there were other ombudspersons. I started sort of thinking, you know, that this was something that we needed to have in the territories and, and sort of mentally sort of pushed it from there. So you know um, from your time at the Legislative Assembly that we have committees and committees have various and sundry jobs. So I started um, talking to my colleagues in committee and saying that we needed to, to have a, a, an act for an ombudsman. And it took some time, but uh, the committee um, agreed. And I believe we had a motion. I can't remember quite when, but I believe we put a motion on the floor. And as you also know, motions um, can be passed on the assembly floor but it there is no um, requirement as a result of that motion that the government has to act on it so you know that sort of we followed through from that and as a committee the committee itself became quite um, I don't know what the word is but they came, they were very strong in wanting to follow this through so at one point we brought the Ombudsman for Ontario up and had a, had a public meeting. That was sort of an educational thing, but that was also to see what kind of interest there was in the, in the community, and there was quite a bit of interest. Um, so that just sort of spurred us on and we carried on from there. Yeah. I, I, I was reviewing the, the Hansard from that time, and, and one thing I noticed is I think the first time you raised the issue of an ombudsman in the Assembly was shortly after you were elected. So you were, you were really working on this out of the gate, and just shortly before, before the end of the, the second Assembly that you served in was when you, when you tabled the, the legislation. So this took up your time, like through your full eight years in office. It wasn't something that, that um, I guess was a was a flaming torch but it was it was always there and it was something that I felt that we needed in the territory so yeah I don't know how many statements I made um, about the need for ombudsman or even just the need for um, a better a better system of recourse for people who felt that they were you know uh, treated unfairly or unjustly or whatever so um, yeah it, it government works very slowly. Mm. I think I want to go back to some of the gaps and um, missing pieces that you were talking about that uh, that you were finding when you were dealing with constituents that you you weren't able to to help them with, uh, because a lot of what you said really resonates with the experience I've had since uh, since we opened the doors. 
One of the, I think, most valuable services we do is actually listening to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll listen to their story from beginning to end. And I think often when people go with government, especially if it's a fairly complex issue and there might be maybe two or three departments involved in, in whatever the solution is that they need, but they don't realize that. To them, it's just government. Uh, another gap is is just helping people navigate, and it's it's related Absolutely. to that as well. Like, where do you go to deal with this? You're not getting help from these people because you actually need to be talking yeah. to those people, and here's some things that will And that's will a lot of the you. work of, of an MLA's office. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, something that because people couldn't be referred where they needed to go, in my, in my estimation, they were hitting brick walls. You know, that was another sort of indicator that, that, that the need was there. Um, and yeah, one of the reasons that people turn to their MLA and, and citizens in the Northwest Territories have a much better access to their MLA than probably um, anywhere in Southern Canada. The other territories are probably much the same, but uh, so many people will come to their MLA with a grievance of some sort. And MLAs have great access to the minister um, of whatever this particular problem is. So, you know, one of the things that that I ran into, this was at committee level, but one of the things I ran into from certain uh, members was they said, well, we don't need an ombudsman because that's what an MLA does. And that was probably the biggest um, stumbling block, I guess, of, of getting people to come around uh, because... MLAs take great pride in the fact that they represent their people. We have a really small constituency compared to pretty much, well, certainly southern Canada, not so much northern Canada. And, you know, the the feeling is that you represent your constituents and you're going to do work for them. But as an MLA, it, it can be really cumbersome. And, you know, going to a minister is not necessarily the best way to solve a problem because as you say, not everything is probably heard. And if there's different departments involved then a minister is not gonna, you know, reach out to the other departments to, to solve the problem. So And again, I think that is really consistent with, with what I've experienced. Uh, I think it's very complimentary what the MLA's offices do and what, what we do. We do sometimes get files referred to us from from constituency assistance or Good. from the MLA's offices. Good to hear. I'm all for whatever is the most expedient way for the person to get help. So if that's through the MLA's office, I think that's great. There are always going to be some people who just aren't comfortable talking to their MLA, and it could be just some personal thing or some impression they have of of the role or, or yeah. the office or the, the individual. So this does give them an impartial uh, place to go with the yeah. with the ombudsman because we are outside of government, and some people see MLA's as part of, part of the Absolutely. government system. Yeah. So... You know, it does it does address that for people where there where there might be for whatever reason a, a trust issue with MLAs. I also think one of the roles of ombuds that the courts have talked about is shining a light into the dark corners dark of corners, the bureaucracy. Yeah. You've heard that quote before. Yeah. And you know, I've seen that in some of the issues we've addressed. They are just so complex and so technical and there's so many people that have to be talked to to figure out what's going on. And they're often not really things that would be very exciting for the public to hear about. You know, it's a database that's out of date and needs to be updated or, you know, it's the way they're handling their record keeping that's causing problems down the road. And I just can't imagine that that's something that would ever get, um, you know, that anybody would ever have the time to weed through. And, And, you know, we do get through some of those and take our light into those dark corners and sweep things up. So uh, I I think that's uh, that's definitely... um, 
one of the areas where where we're able to complement the the MLA's work. Yeah, I think so too. And I did get this too, reading through the Hansard, that there was some feeling that you know MLA's do this, people have access to us. What do you think swayed people to support the the motion and and eventually the bill? I'm not sure. I think I think having the Ontario Ombudsman come was was a really positive thing. Um, he was very personable, and um, the public event that we held was pretty well attended and I can't remember if he met with us as MLAs he must have I would presume but um, I think people initially thought that that an ombudsman would take over the job of an MLA and would reduce the job of an MLA and and so I think you know in conversation and just uh, talking about the issue I think people finally realized that no, this is, and especially with the um, with the information from the Ontario Ombudsman, people realize that no, this is not taking away anything that you're doing. This is going to make it better for your constituents. So I think it was probably just over time that people maybe got worn down. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I should just maybe clarify. So it's it was former Ontario Ombudsman, I believe, Andre Marin, who yes. who met with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Another thing that you mentioned is people feeling feeling the need to be heard. And I talked about listening, but something one of my, my colleagues brings up, or former colleagues, um, would often bring up in talking about ombudsman work is that there's the piece where the person didn't get the decision or the program or the benefit they wanted. And people can often come around to, to accepting that. You know, they may be disappointed, but they, they yeah. accept that. In those situations, there's also often a piece where they were made to feel small. You know, they felt mm. stupid for asking a question or they were treated like troublesome, troublemakers or an annoyance. And that's something that seems to stick with people a lot longer. And one of the gaps I've seen, you talked about the the appeal processes and review processes some people brought up that are available. In my experience, any of those processes, whether it's an appeal, whether it's the court's they don't really address that that kind of emotional hurt that that no. people feel and that's that's something that um you know that i hope our office helps people with as well um you know even if it's just a validation that what happened shouldn't have happened and we can't make a binding order to you we can't make them hire you we can't make them you know give you this grant that you applied for but yeah what happened was wrong yeah. so that that's actually quite a huge gap I see that that ombudsman I think so and I, I think um you know a couple of the issues that came to my office um were really sort of clinically handled by the appeal board or or appeal tribunal or or whatever it was and yeah uh, most people were feeling injured and that, that they had been unfairly and unjustly treated and they wanted somebody to hear them for sure. Um, but they also wanted some recourse and there wasn't any, you know, all of those um, systems at the end said, our decision is final and there's nothing. And, you know, you can go to a minister and ask a minister, but the minister is going to say, well, these are the rules, you know, the, the, the decision is final and I can't do anything. Whereas an ombudsperson, um, ombudsman, um, can you know, hear it out. And like you say, say to the person, I'm sorry, but their decision is actually the right one. It's maybe took, they didn't treat you very nicely in doing it, but you're going to have to accept it. And that I think is, is a really big part of what an ombudsperson office should be. 
And I'm glad to hear that that's your focus because I, in what I was trying to do was to get an office where people could go and feel heard and feel, quote, comforted, um, but not necessarily always get what they want because sometimes you can't. Sometimes the rules are the rules. So, um, yeah, um, I, I think that 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 sort of spurred me as well is seeing people as heard as they were and knowing that there was nothing that we could do for them. There's there's a few issues that come up with these appeal processes. I mean, one is them not, not addressing that feeling of being hurt, but sometimes what I find the issue is that often the the authority an appeal body has to, to review a situation is quite limited. Like there's mm-hmm. very specific things. So it's often not so much the person will experience it as they denied my appeal. What the appeal board is actually saying is we don't have the authority to, to, to review this. To change it, yeah. So there, there are a lot of gaps in in the content of of what can be repeated yeah and that's something that your office can do right yeah exactly you have a broad range of things that you can go and talk about and ask about yeah yeah Yeah. i think sometimes people are disappointed we're not an appeal of an appeal Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know what we can look at is what happened around the appeal and are there you know are there maybe issues that didn't get addressed by the appeal that uh that we can take on i'm curious about were there were there any did you encounter any arguments against having an ombudsman or any kind of resistance to the idea, uh, you know, outside of the MLA group, just um, in the general public and people you were you were interacting with? From the general public, no. Um, you know, people in general, the feedback I got was, yes, this is something that we need and keep doing it. So I was good, good to go. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, since, since uh, because you know, obviously the decision was made by the time the time I came along, I was handed mm-hmm. a piece of legislation and said, go make an office. So I did. Uh, and I have to say, you know, I've, I've had a pretty positive response from the bureaucracy. I wasn't sure if I'd get a lot of defensiveness or a lot of, you know, what are you doing or right. where I do sometimes get some discomfort. And I don't I don't want to generalize uh, with with professional groups, but I find some some lawyers seem uncomfortable with it. And I think it seems to them that it's just way too broad. The guardrails are off, you know, if they're used to working in an adversarial process and and with certain rules. It's not all lawyers. I mean, especially the ones that have done a lot of work in mediation and alternate dispute resolution really get it and welcome it. And I've actually had private lawyers referring clients to us because Mm, they knew they were in a fight with the government that you know, they, yeah. suing the government probably was going to cost them a lot of money and not necessarily going to... Well, and that's one of the things that, too, that when, when we would talk about, you know, what an ombudsperson or ombudsman could do, um, people would say, well, you can go to your member or you can, you know, go through this appeal process or whatever. But the only recourse eventually was to go to the courts. And many of the people, I would say the majority of the people that feel themselves um, grieved are unable to afford to go to court. And I would say, in general, the general public doesn't have the uh, the money to take an issue to court. And it's scary and it's costly. And so at that point, people would pretty much sort of shrug their shoulders and throw their hands up and say, well, there's nothing I can do at this point. But they, they would go away really quite cranky so um you know it, it's it, I it's interesting that that lawyers would would be a little concerned but I could sort of see it because they 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 work in a very sort of within a sort of fairly rigid set of rules and regulations and so on so yeah the, the ombudsman can do lots of things that lawyers can't so that's good 
Yeah, I think for some for some of the people I've talked to, it was just they had a hard time visualizing how how it would yeah. work, right? Because it's just so different from those those adversarial mm-hmm. processes where you you know the procedure is much clearer and. It's not even just about the subject matters that we deal with. It's also just about creating a, a friendlier process that's completely free. Mm. You yeah. know, other than the cost of my office, it doesn't cost anybody, you know, the, the complainant or the departments. Yeah, for a, for a public service, uh, I think it's an economical one. Yeah. In terms of, in terms of me as, now as a resident of the territory, I, I think it's, it's well worth the money. Mm. So I just kind of looking forward to the future, I, I want to ask you, you know, what what aspirations would you still have for the office or what, what would you hmm. still like to see happen? I would hope that the office is going to continue, that it's going to become entrenched, um, like many other sort of um, arm's length offices that, that exist in the territories. And I would hope that, um, I think you've been doing outreach, I would hope that that would continue and that Every resident in the territory eventually knows that there is an ombudsman and an office that they can go to to have their issue heard. I also hope that um, the public service, the bureaucracy, recognizes that it is making their job easier. And um, it, it can't be easy for any of them to have to deal with somebody who is really upset about either how they've been treated or what the decision was um, on something that they, they questioned. And um nobody well I shouldn't say nobody likes confrontation some people do but in general people don't like confrontation and it's certainly not something that you want to be part of your job thank you again for well, thank you for joining me today this was really nice to to see you again it's yeah. been a long time since uh, since we worked together at the at the assembly uh and uh you know this is the culmination of of eight years of work on your part uh, to to get this ombudsman office created. So, and I had a lot of help from uh, from the staff at the assembly. That's for sure. For sure. Uh, I, yeah. I I did not write that act myself. Um, mm. So yeah, there was a lot of support when we finally got to the point where we were going to push hard, um, and there was it, it. It got to the point where the minister who was responsible wasn't going to do anything, and I had asked and asked and asked, and it was like. Well, if you're not going to present, bring forward an, an act, because there's always huge lists of legislation that need doing, I said, that's fine, and got support of committee, and, and mm-hmm. committee wrote the act, and then I was able to table it. So um, that was kind of my last act of sort of saying, here you go, do it. And yeah. it took another three years, but it did get done, which you is grand. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Wendy, okay. for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this third episode of Making It Fair, Fairness, A New Frontier. If fairness matters to you, we encourage you to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. And also watch for our next episode, which is coming soon. Thanks, everyone.